And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Call 1-800-DIRECTV. Claim based on total games carried on sports networks. Sports availability varies by zip code and requires choice package. Terms and restrictions apply. The Athletic. Hello and welcome to Pod on the Time, your go-to Newcastle United podcast brought to you by The Athletic. Coming up on this week's show... The fixtures are out. Who do we play and when do we play them? Spoiler alert, we play everyone twice. Do we miss Derby Day? Phil Buckingham gives us a red and white perspective. And Burn Baby Burn, Newcastle's Big Dan, talks to the Athletics' little Chris. Hello, my name's Taylor Payne. Welcome back to Pod on the Tyne. The boys are back in town. The three of us have been reunited after last week's live episode. How the devil are you, George Corkin? It's been a while, dear boy. What? It's, it's June. This is June. Why are you? Why are you messing? Why are you talking to me? <laughs> Hello. What? Apparently, we are we are contractually obliged to continue talking to each other during the summer. Now, I didn't agree to that. It's June. I've got nothing to say to you, Taylor. I'll speak to you in a few weeks. I'll speak to you in August. Okay. See you later. And that's that's all from Pod on the Time for this week. Uh, thanks a lot. What do we do now then, George? Well, I don't know. I presume just talk shit for 45 minutes and then go. Make Sven Botman jokes for the next six weeks. No, 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 no. That's not allowed. <laughs> no more of those. One was yep. enough. Ten, ten was enough. <clears throat> Absolutely. Chris, how are you doing? You all right? I, I am alright, although I've just had a flashback to I forgot to I forgot to mention this on the last podcast, but before the end of the season a few uh, journalists were invited along to the the Newcastle United Foundation held a play on the pitch sort of five side event at St James's. Oh yeah. And uh, a photo was taken of me and, and the rest of my team. And I sent this photo to George, to which he replied with just out of interest, nothing to do with the picture or anything. What do you think about the increasing use of slim fit football shirts? <laughs> So George Culkin fat shamed me in reply to my message, and I'm still quite scarred by this. He denies that this was the case, but I'm still—I just had a flashback there with him being so angry. I just thought, you know, I wasn't angry. I'm not, I'm not to be fair, Chris, if you send a picture to George Culkin, that is—that's where you've gone wrong. That's the problem. Oh yeah, you should know better than that by now. Well, I mean, I did say it to, in my defence, I did say it was nothing to do with that picture. I was just—I was just vaguely thinking about the tightness of football shirts and that perhaps. Certain people might want to consider getting a slightly larger shirt or something. I don't know, but it was nothing to do with you, Chris. You're a fine figure of a man. Oh, absolutely. Um, but yeah, yeah. Did you, George? Did you happen to catch the live the live show last week? Did you enjoy it, or did you just not listen out of oh, pure sort of resentment? 
God, no. You didn't? Fair play. God, no. Absolutely Probably not. for the best. No. You're talking absolute no. hammering. <laughs> yeah, that's fine. Um, no, it's June. I mean, I, I don't want to think about football, so which is a shame because that's my job. Absolutely. So. Uh, well, I think we might as well jump straight in. Uh, and before we crack on with the main bulk of the show, Chris, uh, we need to talk about transfers. W- what's happening? Where are they? Who are the players that we are potentially going to buy, not buy, have live in Jesmond Dean House for the rest of the summer? Who, who are they? Well, I was off last week and during that time George was going to was quite angry beforehand because he thought that he was going to have to do loads of transfer related things to which he's delighted that nothing has really happened <laughs> yeah. in the last week he's not delighted in the sense he would like Newcastle United to strengthen but in the sense that he didn't have to, to cover it so basically we aren't that much further forward than we were uh, on last week's live podcast so Newcastle are still in talks to bring Hugo Ekatike from, from Rem mm-hmm. um, Newcastle are still in talks to try and bring Sven Botman in from Lille uh, they remain keen on trying to bring in, in a goalkeeper, although there isn't as much of a priority as other positions. And subsequently, it was reported last week that Newcastle are interested in, in Nick Pope of Burnley, which I was surprised by when I first heard. But actually, yes, it is that is true. He is someone who is on the list. And I think that's to do with availability much as anything else, because I'm sure eyebrows will be raised in terms of maybe he's how good Nick Pope is on the ball, because that is one of the things Newcastle are ideally looking for in a, in a goalkeeper to challenge Dubravka. But Nick Pope is a very, very good shot stopper. He's Premier League experienced and may be available for a reasonable price. So he's someone they are looking at. But at this stage, Matt Target is still the only uh, addition so far. Newcastle are due to return next week, the end of next week for pre-season training. And Eddie Howe ideally would like more additions by then. He would, he would have liked a few more players in. But as things stand, there's only been... One senior exit, although Freddie Woodman will will join uh, Preston soon. Uh, but apart from that, there is th- th- they've only brought in Matt Target. I do think that Hugo Egetegi will eventually sign. As I said last week, that seems to be to do with various different agent issues and the like. Botman's a bit more complicated in terms of Milan are still there and there is certainly receptiveness from at least some people around him for him to go there instead of to Newcastle, but they're still they're still holding out for him. He's their first choice centre-back target, and if it isn't going to be Botman, they will move on to others. But certainly it has been a bit of a irritation in terms of the start of the window, not getting the players they want. Yeah. But there isn't any panic yet from Newcastle, although they would they would like to, to get a couple of deals completed in the next couple of weeks if possible. It would be ideal, George, wouldn't it, to have some of those names over the line before the, the pre-season training kicks off and before the players come back? Yeah, managers always say that, that they like like to get their squad settled as quickly as possible and they're always kind of irritable. You know, they'll have a week off or two weeks off and they want stuff to get happen when they're away and it, yeah. of course it very rarely happens. We're in the same sort of situation as we were in January in the sense that people see Newcastle coming and um, they'll be seeing pound signs and at the same time we know that Newcastle will be haggling over everything because that's the message they've set from day one. They did the same thing with Dan Ashworth, refusing to pay, uh, you know, refusing to pay over the odds. Yeah. Finally, doing it, which is great news, but not doing it straight away. And so there is that sort of slight Im- impasse at the minute. I haven't had a chance to talk about Matt Target. I'm delighted that he's coming back. I thought he was superb yeah. from January, really part of things, and um, you know, delighted that got sorted out. I do think that was a no-brainer, particularly at that price. And no, we've just got to wait. We've just got to wait and see. It's, um, you know, some other clubs have done business. That's fair enough. 
But, um, you know, I think the thing is that um, however, however however frustrating it feels at the moment, we know that Newcastle are going to make a move. Yeah. We know that Newcastle will be adding to their squad. We know that they'll bring players, players in. Um, okay, as journalists, we want to be getting on with it and writing it and talking about it and stuff like that. But it's such a nice feeling still to be in the position knowing that come the start of the season, Newcastle squad will be better. Absolutely. It's not time for panic stations just yet, is it, chaps? You can subscribe to The Athletic for just £1 a month for the first six months right now. Just go to theathletic.com forward slash Newcastle pod. You get full access to all our great writing and ad-free versions of The Athletic's podcasts. That's theathletic.com forward slash Newcastle pod. Sign up now. Uh, right then, let's crack on. Uh, and first of all, first thing for us to talk about is the fixtures. The Premier League fixtures were released uh, not so long ago, and that's right. Uh, Newcastle have to play every other team in the Premier League twice. That's an exclusive from Pod on the Tyne there, and it, it hardly seems fair, does it, Chris, that we have to play Man City twice? Can they not let us just play them once? It's like sort of like a like a handicap. Do you know what I mean? But to be fair, I mean next season. Newcastle will be uh, will be beating everyone, won't they? I mean, that's that's the new, that's the new Newcastle, new Newcastle United over the last few months. <laughs> Vict, Vic, victory, victory is is everything now. D- I don't know what defeat sounds like. Absolutely, uh, and the opener. That's an interesting game, isn't it? Newly promoted Nottingham Forest, George. It's a great. It's game. It's good to see them back in the Premier League, isn't it? It's a fantastic game, and it should be an amazing opener. Yeah, it'll be absolutely brilliant. Um, it'll be an absolute. Well, I mean, St James's is a fantastic atmosphere. Uh, for every home game now and that'll be no different and uh, yeah it's brilliant seeing Nottingham Forest back it's been too long since 23 years yeah I look forward to the war flags filling the Gallagher end with a massive mural of Arthur Scargill's face (laughs) that's a joke that only people of a certain age will get but um, no, it'll be absolutely brilliant occasion. Yeah, it's a fantastic way to start that. And um, you know, you look you're doing the usual thing of looking down the list. Oh, that's a tough one. Yeah. Oh, that's a tough one. Oh, and then it's Man City. Oh God, then Liverpool. But um, it's actually it feels a bit different this season. It's sort of you know lo- looking at those games as a as an as an opportunity rather than. Um, you know, rather than looking to see where Newcastle are going to get relegated. It's always a great uh, occasion, the first game of the season, isn't it, Chris? But this this thing of Nottingham Forest coming back is going to add a little bit extra spice to it, isn't it? It's going to be a really interesting game, that. Is that because it's the James Perch derby? <laughs> <laughs> the Jack Callback derby. Come on. <laughs> Callback, Jack Callback still plays for well, them, it, it he? He's still playing for, for Nottingham Forest. Yeah. It does, yeah. I think he was playing left wing back quite a yeah. lot last season, but he, he does. And I I do think that this is a very important opening game for Eddie Howe and Newcastle as well, though, because the start, in theory, looks all right. But if Newcastle mm. don't beat Nottingham Forest on the opening day, they do have difficult games coming up against Man City and Liverpool. And so I do think the first the first game will be pivotal in so many ways. I'm not trying to keep too much pressure on it, but I do I do think that the earlier they can get the monkey off their back, having last season started so badly and having ended last season so well, I do think it, it feels huge. But but Nottingham Forest will, will very much be up for that. They're they're a side who've their form in twenty twenty two, like Newcastle's, has been ridiculous. It's been even better than Newcastle's. They've gone they went from being relegation candidates, I think they were the bottom three, might even be bottom and then obviously came up via the playoffs. So it feels like a massive game. I am really, really looking forward to it. Um 
And then, yeah, as I say, that to have Man City and Liverpool up so early, if Newcastle can get a bit of momentum building it up in all those matches, that that feels like it would be really important. Yeah, it's quite interesting as well. Those 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 away games. I mean, obviously, Brighton uh, Newcastle got a draw at Brighton uh, with Eddie Howe in the stands, as far as I remember, and uh, it was that game, wasn't it? Yes. And um, but the season before that three nil defeat there was one of the most traumatic results in and performances in the club's recent history you go back to Wolves last season Wolves away last season yeah that was arguably the low point of last season the game before the takeover so n- neither of those fixtures have been particularly kind to Newcastle so I agree with Chris I mean I think you know I think there is a sort of uh I think there'll be a you know desire to get a very strong start to hit the ground running as far as possible but as I say you know I think I think I think the nice thing now is that Fixtures don't look like banana skins anymore. They don't look like, yeah, you know, they don't look like th- th- this is our trauma every every week. They now do feel like opportunities, and people are going into this fixture list anticipating. You know, there, there's that feeling of anticip- anticipation. I think uh, a few months ago, you'd think about Liverpool and Man City, and it's like, oh god, how many how many are we going to lose by? Well, okay, fine, they may still lose this this coming season, but. What a great, what great fixtures to look forward to. I usually send George to Brighton. You so send George to Brighton. Mention yeah. that game, but actually, and he he does he doesn't actually he doesn't actually know this yet. It's not Brighton I'm sending to, but I am away when Newcastle are away at Southampton. So enjoy that trip, George. Different somewhere else in the South Coast for you. When's that? November the, the weekend of November the fifth. Potential am fireworks I there, Chris. I'm huh? on, Chris. I hate you so much. <laughs> Oh man, I think I'm. I, th- I think I'm away. Well, I'm sure you guys can. Just, just can sort out your schedule now. in between you at some point. But we've got a no. I want to do. I want to do, do this now. I want to do this now. <laughs> no, all right. Okay. Fine. Fine. Oh, I think. Do you know what it is? I I, I often gl- glance at the fixtures when they get released and go. Oh well, that's this fixtures there we're gonna to have to play everybody at some point uh and i th- and i think this year it's been slightly different i looked at it and um I, i'm in a group chat with a few friends of mine and all of us looked at the fixtures and said actually i can't see a month in, in amongst all of that where i think newcastle aren't going to pick any points up that month and there's always been that month there's and it's normally around about christmas time where you look and there's about four or five fixtures against top six eight teams and you think nah we're knackered we're not going to get anything there so you can write off november you can write off december or whatever but looking at it this time i mean there, there isn't really a tricky month probably the the trickiest month out of all of them is may the run-in uh which is arsenal leeds leicester and chelsea that is potentially difficult but every other month in the calendar, I think looking at it, I think there's points to be got there. There's points all over the place. Absolutely no. I mean that's what, and that's what I said. I mean if you were if this was last season, and we're looking at that start, you'd be saying Forest, oh promoted team, that's really tricky. Brighton lose that. City lose that. Wolves probably lose that. Liverpool definitely lose that. Yeah. And then the manager gets sacked, and we're in crisis, and your season's already finished. And I mean, I'm so I'm so I'm so tuned to doing that, to looking at fixtures and thinking, no, the Newcastle can't win that, won't win that, won't win that, won't win that, and then we're absolutely screwed. And it just doesn't feel like that anymore. No. Yes, the running does does look kind of quite difficult, but God knows where Newcastle will be at that point. I mean, and again, I think it's just it, this is like such a lovely moment in the club's recent history, in the sense that. There isn't judgment at the moment. No one's judging anybody about anything. So once they'd got relegation out of the way last season as a 
something to be concerned about. Everybody could enjoy every single part of the club. Even defeats were fine. Nobody was kind of nobody was judging the team or the manager after losing five nil at City. And I think we're still in that honeymoon period where everything feels fresh and new. There'll come a point where, you know, when the team and the manager will be judged. You know, and it'll be it'll maybe it'll be eighth place won't feel good enough at some point, or yeah. you know, or that or that draw isn't good enough. But we're not at that stage yet, and it's just it's a very nice place to be. It is, Chris. There's a there's a great big chasm of a winter break slot right in the middle, isn't there, for the World Cup, the 21st of November to the 18th of December, and it's going to be interesting to see how different teams deal with this and how their form is affected by it and the league positions and all that. Is it? Do you think it could be a good thing for Newcastle or a, or a potentially a bad thing? Well, there will have a few players at the World Cup, almost certainly. Bruno Gimresh, you, you would very much suspect to be there. Fabian Schaer, Kieran Trippier, may well Joel go with England. Joel Linton. So, Joel Linton. Joel Linton could break in that on, squad. Chris, he could break in that squad. So I think you, you, you're going to... You're going to be talking, depending on what the summer business is, you're going to be talking probably between six and eight players you'd have thought Newcastle will, will lose to, to the World Cup. A, a lot of other Premier League clubs will will, will lose a, a greater number. And so it depends on your momentum going at that time. It feels so frustrating. and It'll be fascinating to see what Newcastle and other clubs do during that time. I mean, there's been a lot of talk that, the, that a lot of them could go away on sort of pre-season, well, not mid-season training camps, if you want to call them. Obviously, Newcastle used those last season, but this is a far longer gap and you can't have players not playing a single match for five weeks and then suddenly being back on Boxing Day to play. So Newcastle are going to have to come up with some fixtures and Eddie Howe's going to have to manage his squad uh, effectively during that time. So I, I, I generally don't know how, how it will affect Newcastle and others. It, it, it will have such a huge bearing on the season though because some clubs I'm sure will go into that with momentum and then falter and probably the other way around with other clubs and maybe some players come back from injury at a time when usually you would have between November and, and December you'd usually have about 50 15 games over the course of that those two months and, and instead you, you've got four and so that is really going to affect the Premier League season this year and change it a lot. It's going to be interesting going through Christmas without that film of misery that's normally draped over everything to do with Newcastle United. Instead it'll probably be England who provide us with that uh, potentially. Uh, it's, it's it's a funny one that George isn't it? The old the old Christmas time World Cup. It's, it, it's not something we've ever had to deal with before but it's a winter break's been something that's been asked about for a long time isn't it? Yeah, God knows how, how that'll feel. I mean, I think it would be, you know, I think that thing that Chris mentioned there about Newcastle having players going away, that might become more of a source of interest, but also concern. I mean, in, in recent seasons, it's not as if there have been a huge number of players uh, featuring in tournaments, but as Newcastle get bigger and better, hopefully, they'll have more players involved. So, um, you know, and obviously what you want what you want is for those players to come back intact, really. Yeah. And um, so, yeah, it's going to be new, a new experience for all of us. Absolutely. Right then, fixture chat done. Let us move on. Uh, we'll be back in just a minute uh, with Phil Buckingham to talk about Derby Days. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Call 1-800-DIRECTV. 
claim based on total games carried on sports networks. Sports availability varies by zip code and requires choice package. Terms or restrictions apply. Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic. Last week, to coincide with the new fixture list, George, somewhat perversely, wrote about a team Newcastle will not be playing this season. Our dear friends, Sunderland. It's already six years since the last Mags v Mackens League match, and that will become seven this season. And there hasn't been a gap that long since the end of the Second World War. Richardson takes it all! A goal from the heavens for Kieran Richardson! And if that is to end the drought, well, what a fitting strike with which to do it. I know fans want their rivals to suffer and they'll take glee out of that. But I think deep down, their game, certainly as a player and as a fan, I'm speaking personally, I would prefer if they were in the league because they're, they're great games, one, to play and they're great games to, uh, to watch. Looked in and it's gone in! Newcastle have the lead and what a wonderful effort it is from Ryan Taylor. As much as the Newcastle fans will laugh at where Sunderland are and how low they've been, I would hope that they get in the Premier League because of the, those games. Fans will tell you, I'll tell you that when the fixture list comes out, it's you, that's, that's the one that you look for. I've played in several in different circumstances. I've played where there was no Newcastle fans at Roper Park where there was no Sunderland fans at St James's Park. And obviously I've played in, in the atmosphere where it's been chaotic and great. So I've, I've, had, a, I've had a sort of a, a sample of ev- everything, really. Obviously I got left out as well as a, yeah. as a player under, uh, under Rude. And then Sunderland was my last ever kick of a football in a professional game. So I've had a bit of everything. Shearer says as he gets older the feeling of scoring gets sweeter and sweeter and that will taste very nice indeed in his last weird time derby Alan Shearer As George wrote, the derby is the biggest, pissiest game you could imagine. Enormous in its gory irrelevance, except the two clubs lost in fear, fighting to the depths. But do we actually miss it? To discuss that from across the Great Northeast Divide, it's a big welcome to the Athletics' very own Phil Buckingham, football news reporter extraordinaire and a man with a soft spot for the red and white. How are we doing, Phil? Thanks for joining us. I'm very well. How are you all? Yes, very good, thank you. Very good, thanks. Not too bad at all, not too bad. So what's our thoughts on this? Do we do we actually miss these derby games? I've got my very own opinion on it from a fan's point of view, but from your point of view, Phil, what do we think? Well, I think it's easy for a Newcastle fan to say they don't miss them because as things stand now, if if you don't have the derbies, that means Sunderland are in a division lower 
And that, that's the simple fact of it. I think it's easy to, to take the moral high ground and say, you know, that the, the, these Derby games are more hassle than they're worth. But if, if, I'm, if I'm a Sunderland fan and I know that the only way I'm getting a Derby back is by getting into the Premier League and that has to be Sunderland's ambition. It's a different question about how much you enjoy them. Yeah. God, I've, I've been to been to dozens over the years, and even the even the ones you win aren't much in, much fun until the final They're whistle not, comes. Yeah. They are stomach churning, horrible days. Um, I, I grew up in in Northumberland, so most of my friends were Newcastle fans. So I know all about the stick you can be on the end of when a result doesn't go your way, and the stick you can dish out when it does. But I, I just think. They are just great games. I know the actual 90 minutes isn't always that much fun. It's It, it can be poisonous. There's anxiety and it's everything that's rolled into it should tell you you should run a million miles from these games. But they, these are the games that pull you in as a supporter ultimately. And, you know, listening to Alan Shearer, he says um, that the, these are the games you look for when a fixture list comes out and if Sunderland are in the same division as Newcastle, absolutely. They'd be the first two games you look for and I'm sh- I'm absolutely certain that it'd be the same for Newcastle fans as well. Maybe. I, th- I think it's a bit... I'm I sure think it's it would. Bit, Come do you on. know what? I, I, I honestly, from my point of view, I hate them. I hate the games. I wish we never have to play Sunderland ever again in, the, in, in my lifetime. I would prefer to never play Sunderland ever again. That's because Newcastle have been so well, not shit... Up for the last few times, I'll admit that colours my uh, that colours my feelings towards it somewhat. <laughs> but even when we've beaten them, or even if it's been a draw, uh, there's been games when I've just thought it's not worth. This isn't worth it. I've come out and I've come out with St James's Park with heart palpitations and feeling like I'm going to collapse, and it's just not worth it. It just isn't. And my dad's a Sunderland fan. It's not worth it, man. Was oh, he really? <laughs> it's not worth it, see, George. What do you see, think, George? Well, I mean. Oh no! I mean, I love them. I love them. I mean, I share, I share all those those feelings. But I mean, wh- where else do you get those feelings in life? Where else do you get that feeling in football? And you know, it's it's that stomach sterning, It's the nausea. It's uh, not being able to sleep. It's the adrenaline. It's all those things. You just don't get them from any other game. And I, I, th- I think that's what people are f- scared of. I think they're scared of feeling that much. But that's what makes it so brilliant, and um, you, you know they are there are kind of horrible bits to the game, and there have been there's been sort of horrible scenes. You don't want fans to have to be kettled to go to matches and to have all that kind of police stuff. And I wish it wasn't. I wish it wasn't like that, and I don't think it should be. But that feeling, and I mean, I, th- I think it's a fixture that shows the magnitude of football in the northeast. Fans described it in that piece I did. It's 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 and Roy Keane, you know, former Sunderland manager, man who who won everything at, at Man United and of course went to Celtic as well. He compared it to Celtic versus Rangers, and I think it does. I think it compares to that in terms of magnitude. It's just that there's been nothing good at stake, and maybe that in fact is what gets into the atmosphere as well. It's the fact it's been the two teams sort of dragging each other down or having to try and stay yeah. up. It's been desperate and that desperation comes into the atmosphere. But I, I just think, you know, imagine if both Newcastle and Sunderland were good at the same time <laughs> yeah. and were competing for a trophy or in a cup final. I mean, it would be bedlam if it was a cup final, but 
it's it's it shows the power of football up here. It just, I think they're I think they're brilliant. I mean, I, as I say, I wish they didn't have the nastiness associated with it, but they're just enormous. They're enormous fixtures, and they make you feel like nothing else. Uh, as George says, there isn't there isn't another fixture that makes you feel that way. Um, you could play Man United at home and thump them, and I don't think you'd get the same burst of relief or emotion or passion as you would do beating your, your nearest rival I, I just don't think that's the case um, and 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 that that comes from the lives you lead amongst friends foes work colleagues that that's life in the northeast and, and there isn't another fixture like that um Sunderland's not a million miles from Middlesbrough but it doesn't invoke anywhere near the same emotions and it, it, it might do for Middlesbrough fans but I, I you know, Sunderland fans will always look down the nose as, as, uh, at the prospect of that being considered a derby. Frankly, Chris, it's it's often been in in the recent years two shit teams trying to prove who's the least shit, hasn't it? Um, and it was described to me very recently as like two bald men fighting over a comb, which I thought was quite good. Uh, but it's it, it, it's still a massive game, isn't it? Regardless of which way you look at it. Yeah, I mean, Shearer talks in his clip about Rude Hullet and his decision, the famous decision to, to, to put him and, and Ferguson on the bench and what that meant. And I mean, Hullet arrived and didn't understand the significance of it in, in a sort of local context. And I think until you're within it, it is difficult to see that. I'm sure people elsewhere will look at it and say, well, why is it such, such a big thing? But I do think actually that the one city, one club mentality of both clubs as well being 13 miles away from each other however far it is I think that makes a significant difference whereas if if you have that sort of split within a city it's it's different it's part of the culture it's part of what you brought up in and Phil's mentioned that he was brought up in Northumberland where you have sort of majority Newcastle but you also get some pockets of Sunderland up there obviously Taylor you're from an yeah. area where it's almost 50-50 split in, in terms of those two sides but that lack of quality in the last sort of 15, 20 years is interesting. I was going to ask Phil about this actually because I was wondering how Sunderland fans sort of looked at, obviously it's they've got a very good recent record and a lot of Newcastle fans sort of disparagingly I suppose to a certain extent would say about Sunderland that was the entirety of their season. They didn't care about anything else except that they were beating Newcastle and that would keep them up. What what was what was the view during those matches, Phil, from your point of view in terms of obviously there was the De Canio, famous De Canio match and all those and the Newcastle results did seem to play such a significant part in keeping oh, Sunderland the, in the, the Premier League. The amount of times they'd be on an absolutely horrific run leading up to a Newcastle game and then all of a sudden they would find a win from nowhere. <laughs> Um, and, and and it would often be a trigger for the season. Um, it would be the the one where Barini scored at the at the Stadium of Light around sort of October November. They, I'm sure they hadn't won in the first twelve games or something, and and all of a sudden that got the season going. They survived again, and as you mentioned, Di Canio, some fantastic memories from those games and that that run of wins. Um, but you know, I'd, I've I've been on the other end of it. You know, I. The, the game Shearer talks about his last uh, the four one at the Stadium of Light. I was there for that. Um, so yeah, they, they they can they can make you want to float home that night or that afternoon, or they can make you want to go home and top yourself. Frankly, that's that's just the sort of the, the magnitude of of what it brings out in you. It's um, I mean I, I don't honestly don't mind admitting that the the game where Shearer was on the bench, I was one of the I think it was something like eight hundred Sunderland fans in the ground because the the St James was getting redeveloped. 
drenched to the bone and I could have floated home that night and it, and, and, and it, and it will remain one of my happiest happiest days in football I'm yeah. absolutely certain of it but and I, and I, but, but I'm sure everyone will have a, a night like that or an afternoon yeah. like that in a derby that's just, just the way it is it's- I mean so I, I was in the press box for that match and we were we were drenched drenched to the bone in there people's laptops people's laptops exploding all around me and all this kind of stuff and it felt like it felt like it was apocalyptic that day i mean from the from the moment that the team sheet comes out and those i mean you know the drama around that newcastle obviously sort of in the midst of this incredible civil war and you knew that that if if newcastle had won that night and they took the lead that shearer would have gone he says that himself and it went the other way around, and but Shearer was still in the dressing room, saying to Paul Robinson before kickoff, "Go out and beat them bastards." You know he wanted Newcastle to win, but that jumble of emotion. I mean, I I think the sort of interesting thing about the last ten years and Sunderland's brilliant record is that they they might have been in desperate straits in the in the league for some of that, but they got the derby right. They understood the derby, and that went back to the to the to the five one defeat at St James's where they were absolutely uh, hammered and they turned out Lee Catamull talks in this piece about saying they turned up they fancied themselves they were doing pretty well that season wore posh suits and didn't lay a glove on Newcastle and he was in particular was determined that that wouldn't happen again and for the same fixture the following season no music nothing nothing daft and Catamull was going to make a challenge within the first 30 seconds that set a tone and my God, he did it, and 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 it that that difference. It it I think for Newcastle fans, it came to sort of sum up the Ashley years in some way that Newcastle just couldn't get to grips with the meaning of the of the derby, and Sunderland just understood it. You're absolutely right in the sense that derbies can shape legacies and how people perceive, and that's like the power of that game. You mentioned Hullet. But you can you can say Steve Bruce on the other hand that in that five one game he never really recovered from that game yeah. and he he did he did good things as Sunderland manager but that that game forever sort of sullied his reputation and and, and that's the power of those games Alan Pardew couldn't get a derby right could he um, and that's 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 the way people can perceive you on the back of derbies unfairly or fairly yeah I think the the, the game down at the stadium I like the the Ryan Taylor uh, goal the free kick that was one of those days where. Uh, Pardew maybe got it all right, and um, you know Newcastle turned up, and I remember being at the, at the stadium at eight o'clock in the morning to get on a coach to go to that game, uh, and it was just a ridiculous day all round from start to finish. And I remember coming home, uh, I think it was probably four or five o'clock in the in the evening. By the time we got back, and the entire bus singing Ryan Taylor over the wall, uh, and it, and it was just one of those days that it wasn't as, as spectacular as the five one, but it was just a brilliant day from start to finish. Um, still felt like my heart was going to explode out my chest all the way through and I still don't know whether I'd want to have that back or not but it's quite interesting our respective backgrounds here because I grew up in Durham and so I was you know that was mostly Sunderland Sunderland territory and at school my best mate was a was a Sunderland fan my first long-term girlfriend was a Sunderland fan and her family and I lived with them for a bit and I've never ever had the as a fan, I've never ever had the hatred gene, and then you know, obviously, I've reported on Sunderland for for a long time as well. I've my dream has always been for both clubs to. I mean, my ideal season would be for Newcastle and Sunderland to be first and second in the Premier League and sharing all the trophies. But I realise that makes me quite 
weird. But what what was it like, Taylor? If you say your your dad was a your dad was a Sunderland fan, what was it like growing up in that household when these games came around? Um, it was always interesting. Put it that way. We normally had to watch the game in separate rooms. Uh, it was. It was strange because my dad was was very much of the opinion that I should be an England fan rather than pick a club team because with England you only got disappointed every two years instead of every other week. <laughs> so it was it was sort of one of those things, you know. But my it was my my uncle Steve who was the first person who said to me, "Come on, do you want to come to Newcastle and we'll we'll go and watch the game up there?" And I went with him, um, and I just fell in love straight away. And my dad was very gracious about the whole thing. Obviously, it's pretty hard for your your only child. To suddenly decide they're gonna they 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 support the rivals, you know, it's it's a hard one that. Uh, but he took it in good grace, and and as I mentioned on the live show last week, he made me my Christmas dinner on the stairs after he bought me a Newcastle shirt. Uh, so, <laughs> so yeah, interesting times in the Payne household during the uh, during the nineties. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The, the the one thing that does spoil derbies, and and this is a a, a genuine point, is is what it does to people in the northeast, whether it's punching a horse or the, the, the need to kettle fans from one station to the ground. It, it, that's that's the sadness of it because, as George just mentioned, that two best men at my wedding are both Newcastle fans. Um, the vast majority of people I went to school with were Newcastle fans. I, I don't hate them. They're some of my best friends. And, and Obviously, you, when when a derby comes round, you sort of rein in your friendship a, a little bit and you, you try not to speak to them that day, but I mean, ultimately, I've never quite understood where where the hatred comes from, and it, it, and it gets worse. That's the sad thing of it. Um, I'm not suggesting the 60s and 70s were some golden time where everyone skipped together to watch the match, and you could you could you could mix in whatever stand. But it, it's definitely got worse um, from from the 90s onwards, and I don't know if that's the. I don't. I don't honestly don't know what it comes down to, but. That that would be the one thing, the aspect, the one the one thing that sours it really. And, and I'm sure any city and any rivalry would say the same. If you if you went up to Glasgow on Old Firm Day, I bet it I bet it's horrendous in some places and A and E's and everything like that. It's it, that that's the sadness of it. But um, bring them back, please. I agree. And um, one thing one thing I do want to ask is you've written loads, uh, Phil, recently about about Sunderland and you were at the playoff matches, and um, but you've also sort of written about the ownership structure as well. So for people who might not, whose uh, first inclination might not be to, to, to read about Sunderland, give us a kind of overview about what you think the sort of overall health of Sunderland is at the minute. That's a big question and one I might struggle to answer in two minutes, but... Um... Yeah, I, I think an awful lot of people felt felt let down when it when it transpired that Kira Louis Dreyfus only owned forty one percent of the club. That that's the bottom line. Supporters felt misled, and the fact that the the remainder of the club belonged to the to the old regime, so to speak, that felt like a kick in the teeth because for a long for a long time they, they almost like lived a lie that this was a new era, and um, everything was everything had turned a page and Sunderland's future was bright again because the the people that supporters really couldn't get on with um, towards the back end are, are still there. Now, they maintain that they're 39%, which is Stuart Donald and Charlie Metvin. They, they maintain that they, they are aiming to sell that before the, the new season starts, which is only, I think it's five weeks this weekend. So um, they've got the work cut out. They say there's interest there. You know, a lot of people, I'm sure, enjoyed the fact that there was sort of like crypto Crypto bros, as they say, um, 
wanting to buy 39% of Sunderland and I'm, I'm sure it feels almost comical if you're a Newcastle fan washing in money um, but at the same time it, 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 it'd, be, it'd feel like such a backward step for Sunderland if, if that was to happen my gut feeling says it won't but sooner or later the ownership issues need resolving because I don't think it's healthy for a club to have as many voices as Sunderland currently have and Louis Dreyfus says that he has the controlling voice and I'm sure he does but I think it feels like a dead weight, um, sort of metaphorically and physically, that, that, that someone can't move on from the, the Stuart Donald, Charlie Metvin era without, without, a, without them leaving. And, and you would like to think Kira Louis-Dreyfus upped his own stake because I do think he's got big ambitions for the club. Um, he's done the business so far and I don't think it's going to be a quick fix. I don't think someone are going to throw millions at it in the next two to three years to get to the Premier League, but there is a, a self-sustainable model there and he wants the club to be run properly. So take him on his word and he's got good ideas for the club, but he needs a bigger say, I think. It'll be interesting to see how Sunderland fare in the Championship uh, in this this coming season. It's it's a tough league uh, to, to be in and, and, and getting out of it and staying out of it is is a massive ask. And, you know, Fulham fans and Norwich fans will, will have a have an opinion on that of, of almost those clubs who get caught between those two leagues and can't can't make the, the permanent switch. It's a, it's a difficult season for them, isn't it, Phil? And they're they're going to really have to be on the ball with this. Yeah, because I think as uncomfortable as it might be for, for Sunderland supporters, I, I think a club like Middlesbrough, who will probably have 10,000 less at every home game, Middlesbrough will have a, a much bigger budget than Sunderland will. Um, and I think an awful lot of championship clubs will. The, the hope for Sunderland will be when you look at Huddersfield and you look at Luton and what they did last year, that money isn't everything in the championship. And if you've got a good coach and you recruit well, then then a, then a top six, top ten finish is possible. Um, having come out of League One, if you offered me now, if you offered me mid-table, I think that would be a good finish for Sunderland. Um, I don't think it's going to happen overnight. I don't think they're going to suddenly leap up to the Premier League in one go. I know we've seen Wolves do that in past years in Southampton, Norwich. That would be an awfully big ask. And yeah, just just consolidation and look to build. I think that would be a good year for Sunderland. What I love about this, about the conversation talking to Newcastle fans is how much much fewer Newcastle fans want the derby back than Sunderland fans. And of course, the reason for that, not just Sunderland's brilliant record recently, it's also that thing of... Life is so good at the minute. It's like we're all feeling so positive. It's like it's we well, don't spoil it. No, no, please don't do anything to spoil it. And there's less confidence, you know. Even though Newcastle theoretically have all this money and stuff like that, there's actually less. Please just don't do anything to jeopardize. George, it doesn't. To it doesn't it. come from a place of hate in Sunderland or not wanting Sunderland to do well. It comes from a place of life is a lot less complicated. If I don't have to deal with Absolutely. playing Sunderland twice a year, yeah, yeah, that's yeah, it. Yeah, I, yeah, it yeah. It's, it's nothing it. to do with Sunderland. In, well, it is, but it's not that I don't want Sunderland to do well and I hate Sunderland. It's not that. It's just my life is so much easier. <laughs> <laughs> Come on, who wants easy? Who wants easy? Absolutely. Thanks very much for uh, for your time, Phil, and uh, good luck no this season. And uh, we'll see how it goes. I know you don't mean it. I do. <laughs> Come on. <laughs> Cheers, Phil. Hey. 
As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10. Place your first bet on any game and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. So we're going to wind the clock back a bit now and catch up with an exclusive interview Chris did with the Right Honourable Big Dan Byrne. Uh, This conversation actually took place during the final week of last season, but we've all been so busy we haven't really had a chance to hear from the big man until now. Uh, Fascinating chat though, so let's have a listen to a chunk or two from uh, Chris's interview and we can share our thoughts after that, chaps. What do you reckon? Uh, Chris, where do you want to start? I think we should start with obviously Dan Byrne. This this came in the aftermath of Newcastle beating Arsenal at that wonderful week, and I spoke to him a couple of days afterwards. But his career has taken an unusual trajectory. I mean, he actually was in Newcastle's academy and was released. And when he was released from Newcastle, well, sorry, he wasn't even in the academy. He was in their development side, which is which is before the academy. And he actually had to go to non-league football because he was released and he, he was pushing trolleys around a local Asda in Blythe that his dad worked at uh, to try and make it, make ends meet as he was finishing school and embarking on a non-league career. Played for New Hartley on a Saturday, which was... Like it was a good team. Like it's known for bringing players through, like good local players. Um, I had a, had a couple of mates. Like my mate Crooksy was a keeper there, and Wadey uh, was a midfielder there. So I ended up going along, but I was never getting a game. Like I was turning up every week, and then I might get like five, ten minutes at the end, but I was never going to start. And then like my friends were doing stuff, and I obviously had no money to do it. So I just said like, oh, I think I need to get a job on a Saturday. I was at six form. Um, and then my dad, obviously he's at Sainsbury's now, but he was at Asda and stuff, so Asda replied, managed to make a few calls and got an interview there, so I remember like turning up in my suit uh, to have an interview, and it was like, just to, like stack shelves or whatever, you know what I mean, and the only job I had was pushing trolleys, and I was like, yeah, stuff I'll take, so I used to do like half one, half one ten on a Saturday, um, and then like just give up playing football on the Saturday because I said I wasn't playing anyway, so and I wanted to go out and go to the cinema with my mates or go to town or whatever. So and obviously Burns done extremely well over the course of the last six months, but there's Newcastle are interested in Sven Botman at the minute, and so it's even though this interview took place a few weeks ago, this answer is is sort of timely. I asked him about both the potential of the new Newcastle United and also as someone who spent a career proving people wrong does he still believe that he can maintain his, his position in the side and be the starting left centre back going forward I don't think there's a limit to it but like I feel I feel like people think I'm stupid for saying that because of the position that we're in at the moment but listen like from the 
like the fan base and like the feel of like how big the club is for the city. Like, I'd, like, I think we could do anything we want to do. Like, I'd love for it to be like winning the Premier League because I think like the club deserves it and like getting into the Champions League and stuff. And I'm not saying that like that's going to happen. Like next season we're going to win the league, the Champions League. But as like as long as we're like we're building towards that, like, I think that's huge. And like I think uh, obviously we're going to have to add to like play and stuff and, and different stuff that does it because. Like those are the levels that we're at. Like we're competing with like Man City and Liverpool, which are like the best teams in the world, probably the best teams that the Premier League's ever seen. Do you know what I mean? We'll, we'll have to catch up to that at some point. Um, but I genuinely think that we're at some point we will be doing that. Like, we'll just hold that and here for most of the ride. Like well, I mean, I suppose you, you spend your career to an extent proving people. Yeah, exactly. Castle, people wrong. Yeah. Do you back yourself to move on? Hundred percent. Like I always, I, I half felt a little bit that. Like when I signed here, I wasn't like, not a stopgap, I think that's not doing myself justice, but as in like, they needed someone straight away to come in with Premier League experience that loved the club and like had what it took to keep the team up. Um, and then thought when I got the summer, they'll probably look for sort of like 60, 70, 80 million pound players and stuff, which is like absolutely right to find, but I'll back myself against anyone who comes in. Like I've done it my whole career, proved people wrong. Um, and like whoever the club brings in, I'll always feel as if I'm like good enough to, to be ahead of them and stuff. So as I said, like I feel as if I've proved a lot of people wrong since I've got here. Um, not that the manager might have thought that, or the owners might have thought that, or the fans might have thought that, but I do feel as if I've proven that I can, I deserve to be here, and like I can, I can be here for for as long as long as I want to be. And for Dan Byrne, as for so many other Newcastle United fans, Alan Shearer was his hero growing up, and he tells a story in the in the club program about how he was at uh, a function with Ollie Lee, the the son of Rob Lee, and Alan Shearer came woke up to him and he basically embarrassed himself and didn't know <laughs> what to say a few years ago. And he, he's desperate to meet his uh, boyhood hero. He's not meet, met him yet, but uh, Alan from work very kindly sent across a message for me to play to, uh, to Big Dan Byrne, and this was his reaction to that. Big Dan Byrne, congratulations no on a great season, man. You have been awesome. You've stiffened that back four up. Um, congratulations, well done. Uh, and a magnificent game against Arsenal. It's the best I've seen for a while. The atmosphere you boys have certainly turned it around in some style. Um, welcome home, it must be great. And I look forward to having a pint with you. Cheers. All the best, man. Well done. That's unreal, man. Absolutely class. Yeah, send it, man, because that's unreal. Like, as I said, like, it's. Growing up being a Newcastle supporter, like you want to be Alan Shearer, you want to uh, be captain of Newcastle, like scoring goals every week, like playing in front of like your home ground and stuff. And like the fact that I met him once and like I like see him talking about us in the press and stuff, just like absolutely mental, like, absolutely mental, and just like it's just like to have him talking about us is just like something I don't think I'll ever get over. Oh God, I lo- bloody love Dan Byrne. I bloody love him. I bloody love him. There's loads of him as well, Chris, and I love every single centimetre of that lad. He is amazing. What a chap. What an absolute legend. I love the idea of somebody sitting in Asda car park in Blythe and just thinking, look at the fucking size of that lad pushing them trolleys. (laughs) (laughs) Just, oh, what a guy. What a dude. He sounds like an absolute chap as well. He was brilliant to chat to. I mean, it was, I was with him for about an hour and a quarter at a coffee shop in Jesmond, and he's just so down to earth and he just doesn't give the sort of cliched response you'd expect from footballer he's very self-deprecating as well actually one of my editors when i sent in the piece 
sent me a message saying it's 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 the first football he's heard talk about how shit they were when they were actually young. <laughs> Just like, basically, he so he talks about how poor he was growing up in terms of footballing wise. How he never thought he was go- he was going to make it in so many ways. How at Newcastle were right to release him because he his body sort of outgrew him mm. at that point and and he. And he's built his way up, and he's just a, he's a wonderful story, and I'm so pleased to see that he's done so well. The reception he's received from Newcastle fans, because when he first came in, eyebrows were raised from a lot of people. I'll admit, when I first heard you gone from Sven Botman, who was, there was so much excitement around Europe, to suddenly they were signing Dan Byrne, and who, until a few few weeks before he signed, hadn't even been a regular in the Brighton central defence. He'd mainly been used here and there, but he's come in and he's been exactly what they needed, just as George was talking about Matt Target earlier, but having that connection with the club and just the fact that he's sort of living that dream and he's talked about how over the summer he was going to sit back and really try and absorb everything that's gone on because it's been a whirlwind from but an absolutely wonderful story and I'm just so delighted for him. George it's a, it's a story as old as time isn't it local lad done well uh, but he's been immense since he joined Newcastle United and I don't think we would have been uh, quite as uh, good in our upturn of form without Dan Byrne back there. Oh he was brilliant he was brilliant yeah absolutely sensational and yes it's it's that the thing I love most about it is not just you know local local boy coming home Shearer of course did that but you know Shearer was a world record signing I love the fact that 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 Byrne is part has been part of this sort of takeover this enormous transformative takeover and yet he is so grounded um so uh you know so kind of so grateful for the opportunity to come back famously sort of embraced as Chris wrote embraced uh Mirdad Gadusi. Uh, after the last home game of the season, and said thank you for bringing me home. And I'm not regular in my praise for for Chris, but uh, put it that way on this pod, oh, I am really. But it was that was my favourite interview of last season of, of of anything anywhere. I just thought it was sensational. He came across um, so well. It was handled beautifully by Chris. And yeah, I love the fact that he's he's one of the public faces of this of the of the club, and it means such a lot to him. Um, I would urge people to read it because it's um, it's even better written down. It's just a beautiful, beautiful piece of work. It's a great interview, Chris. I have to say, and 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 Dan Byrne seems to have had a permanent chuff on since the minute he arrived back in Newcastle, doesn't he? And who can blame him? Let's be honest. Exactly. I mean, as George mentioned, in terms of that being so grateful to everything that goes on. I mean, the interview starts with, because I'd, I'd, I'd spoken to people in and around him before I went to do the interview, and basically had a conversation with his dad, who was down visiting over New Year, and they were talking about Newcastle and, and whether he would he would ever return. And he, and he responded with, well, Newcastle have been taken over. They're going to be going for world-class players now. They're not going to be signing Brighton's Dan Byrne. And it's just that sort of wonderful story that a few weeks later, he's then back and he's central to everything that Newcastle have been over the last few months. And he, he brings that sort of... It's so important to have that thread with, with, with the club remaining, the local thread, if you can have it there, given everything that's going to go on from now. I think that's another reason why it's important that, that Paul Dummett signed another contract by Sean Longstaff hopefully is, is, is going to stay for a little bit having signed another contract as well to have those local players someone like Dan Byrne uh, being in the in the first team is wonderful and it, it's let's let's hope going forward that that he does have real competition for that centre-back place and that it forces him to be even better than he's been so far and that can only lift Newcastle hopefully to greater heights. 
Absolutely. Right then, Chops. Uh, I think it's time we just about wrap things up. But just before we do, have, have either of you boys got anything in the works planned uh, ahead of the pre-season p- period? What have we got to look forward to from you two? Well, I've got a holiday to look forward to. <laughs> See you later. <laughs> Fair play. Chris, you going anywhere nice in your jollies this year? Uh, no. Last week I went to Whitley Bay for the day. That was nice. <laughs> that was, uh, <laughs> that was about as far as, far as oh, I've gone. Amazing. Well, have I got anything to come to plan? I'm going to, for midweek, I'll be doing a piece sort of looking at the, the, the transfer situation as, as we talked about where Newcastle, uh, where things stand on that front. And also with the players coming back uh, in 10 days' time or so, at least the non-internationals looking ahead to the pre-season and the, and the situation in Newcastle. And Newcastle are still yet to confirm pre-season believed to be going to, to Austria and Central Europe, but they haven't confirmed that yet, that tour. Also, um, yet to confirm season ticket situation. That's still something big that will be talked about at some point soon, and I'll, I'll do a piece on that if and when that, that's announced because it's such a huge talking point for so many supporters, and whatever conclusion they come to, some people are going to be left disappointed. But what we can be sure of is that next season, once again, St. James's Park is going to be full every week. I think it's going to be an interesting summer. There's not going to be uh, quiet weeks like we've had in the past. I think there's going to be new stuff going on all the time. So you can stick with us here on Pod on the Tyne, uh, usually every Tuesday and sometimes uh, Wednesdays if you're uh, if you're unlucky. Uh, but we'll be back every single week between now and the start of the season to keep you up to date with all the latest news. Uh, and don't forget, you can subscribe to The Athletic for just £1 a month for the first six months right now at theathletic.com forward slash newcomer. Hustle pod. Thanks very much, chaps. It's been nice to uh, to get back together and record. George, thank you for your time. Yes, you're very welcome. Do we have to thank George for his time? You know, I feel it like really feel didn't like sound like George meant that there, well, did it? <laughs> no, I don't no I, we shouldn't be talking about football. We should be, I don't know, all in a, in a puddling pool eating ice creams or something. I don't know. <laughs> Are Maybe you not six? the same puddling pool. <laughs> I'm not. Yeah, I'm not getting in a puddling pool. We used to definitely not. But the ice cream van has just gone past, so I'll go and uh, I'll go and grab some uh, some Mister Whippies from him. Uh, right, thanks very much, chaps. Uh, we shall speak to you next week. Thanks to all of you listening out there, from everybody at Pod of the Time. Take it easy. Goodbye. Athletic.